been thinking a lot recently about what it means to know God, uh, what it means to not know God, who is it that knows God, what does it mean that everybody in the world knows God in some sense, and nobody in the world apart from Christ knows God in another sense, so that's what we're dealing with. So Father, grant light to our minds as we try to understand the people around us and all over the world. Do they know you? How do they know you or not know you? We want to serve you well in ministering to them. So come and teach us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are at uh, Romans 1, 18 to 23. And even before I look at this text about the universal knowledge of God that everybody has, it seems, I want to make sure that we feel the tension of other texts. 1 Corinthians one twenty one, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. So the world doesn't know God. Or Galatians 4.8, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Or 1 Thessalonians 4, 4 through 5, let each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like those Gentiles who do not know God. So from all those texts, there's some sense in which we don't know God. People don't know God. And surely that would mean they don't know him savingly. So what what does this text mean here in Romans 1 when it says they do? So I'm going to look for, um, I think there are six statements uh, to the effect that everybody knows God in the world. And then and they ask what that means and what implications it has for us. So the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. If you suppress the truth, then you must have known the truth. Which truth? For what can be known about God is plain to them. So the truth of what can be known about God, the known things about God are plain to people. So that's the second statement. Because God has shown it to them. So what can be known is plain, and the reason it's plain is because God has shown it to them. So that's the third statement, that people know God. For his invisible attributes, his invisible attributes, let's not close that up yet, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived so, invisible attributes, invisible things, are clearly perceived. So, it's not just that people look at nature and see nature, but don't see anything about God. This text says, when people look at nature, they see invisible things. His eternal power, his deity. Ever since the creation of the world, this has been true. In the things that have been made. So, that's how it happens. So, in the created order... In the cosmos, in the ordered uh, beauty of things, people see God. For, oh, we skipped something. So they are without excuse. I'll come back to that. For although 
they knew, oh, I didn't number this. This is number four. They knew God, so there's number five. So that's as clear as it gets. They knew God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. This, the word behind this is glorify. That matters. I'll show you why in a minute. They did not glorify him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were dark, and claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. And if you exchange something, then you, you have it, you know it, and you assess it, and then you assess the alternative here, images, and you say, I prefer images, I think I will get rid of this glory, and you traded off. So that's the sixth statement that we we knew the glory of God and we traded it away. Now, I said I'd come back to this. Even though we have all this knowledge, we did not glorify him and we did not give thanks so we know that there's some beneficence from God that we should thank him for. And we know that there's glory here that we've exchanged. And so we, we dishonored his, his, we belittled his glory by exchanging it and suppressing it. And therefore, we are without excuse. So at the judgment day, people won't be condemned for not believing the gospel. If they've never heard the gospel, they will be condemned for suppressing the truth, trading the glory of God away, and thus dishonoring him and failing to thank him. And therefore, no one will have any excuse at the last day, no matter where they live or what era they live in across the world. And here's, here's my question. In, in view of the fact that we don't know God. What does it mean when he says six times here, they knew truth. They plainly see what can be known about God. God has shown it to them. The invisible attributes are clearly perceived. They knew God. They exchanged the glory of God, and so they had it. What does that mean? And let me try a picture and see if this makes sense to you or if it fits the text. I'm going to uh, draw uh, an imaginary casting mold here, a template. So this is, this is a mold, and you, you pour... and spills over, and according to what the shape of your mold is. So when it dries, you can take it out and, and, uh, and have an original. So I'm arguing that this is um, our knowing God. We are made so that we are shaped for God. The green there is, is the glory of of God. So maybe I should make that connection. The, the glory of the immortal God 
is poured in. When we were created, that's the way our lives were. We had this capacity to know God in the image of God. God was perfectly fitted into our soul. There were no competing alternative values. These these images down here were rejected. We didn't love trees more than God. We didn't love fruit more than God. We didn't love ourselves more than God. God was was in these crevices here and he fit perfectly and we were whole that's what we made for and we knew it and when we fell what we tried to do then was to take images or or anything else originally it was that fruit and we tried to put it in here like this and and we took as many as we could you know food uh, fame, work, sex, anything, and and push it in here to try to be complete and whole. And they don't they don't fit. And we we know, we know they don't fit. I think that's what Paul means when he says we we know the truth and we suppress it. We know it in the sense that we're made for it. And and if anything ever came in there that fit perfectly Bam, we'd, we'd know it. And so everybody in the world, everyone knows God. They know they're made for God. They know that what they're experiencing presently is not satisfying. It's not clicking. And what needs to happen is that the Holy Spirit According to 1 Peter 1.23, by the Word of God, the Holy Spirit would, would come in here and begin to clean out. This is called conviction of sin and knock out these alternatives to God. And then, speaking the truth, we put the truth by the gospel here. And by God's grace, people are allowed to see it. And it clicks. And everybody comes to know God because when the truth is put into their hearts and God says, let there be light, and he cleans out all the other stuff, the click is so perfect and the fit is so perfect between what we're made for and what we hear in the gospel that we, we know beyond the shadow of a doubt that the gospel is true and that the scriptures are true. And so here's the upshot for us. Everybody we meet, absolutely everyone we meet, has a knowledge of God, has this shape for God, and they are eternally, as Augustine said, eternally restless until they find God resting in them and them resting in God. And therefore, what is our task? Our task is to take the truth of the gospel, the truth of the Word of God, and speak it everywhere we can, and pray that the Holy Spirit would take what we speak and what we write and put it into these places for which it is perfectly designed in every human soul and push out the alternatives so that they see and believe.